As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each of us grace has been being given as Christ apportioned it. This is why this is why it says, when we, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does ascended mean? What does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to the apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is, Christ, from him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Thanks, Drew. Uh, keep your Bibles open. We're going to be working our way through this passage, a very important passage, and it will be to your benefit if you can follow along as we do so. There are sermon outlines as well. Uh, hopefully you got one at the door. If not, you can go and grab one and follow along or take notes or whatever you like. Before we get into this, let me just lead you in prayer again. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to ask for your blessing as we now sit under your word and consider what this passage means for us, what it teaches us and how it shows you to us. Father, we ask that you would bless us by sending your spirit to speak through these words, to speak through me and to soften each of our hearts. Father, help us to sit in humility under your word, accepting its guidance and its leading, submitting ourselves to it, to be shaped by it as your people in this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you can relate with this, but sometimes when I'm tired, uh, sometimes when I'm distracted, I find myself reading the, the strangest of things uh, and often the packaging on food. I don't know why, but I just end up reading the label. Uh, perhaps you can relate. So you're not concentrating, perhaps at home, perhaps in the supermarket, and all of a sudden you're reading the ingredients for orange juice or bread or whatever 
seems to be close by hand. You learn interesting things when you do that. And one of the interesting things I learnt was how ridiculous claims uh, can be found on kids' products in particular. I was standing in the kids' aisle at the supermarket just in a complete daze the other day and I ended up reading a multivitamin which claimed it was all that young minds need, which makes me wonder why we send them to school. Uh, I I was reading something called Mighty Enzyme. I don't even know what that is. Uh, It sounded interesting. But it said that it was essential to children's health, uh, which is bad news for our kids who don't take it. Uh, Kids Wheat Bix. Kids Wheat Bix claims that it is specifically designed for young growing bodies. (laughs) I don't know if you've ever seen a Wheat Bix. (laughs) There's not a lot of design in a Wheat Bix, I would have thought. It's crazy. Uh, you know, if you, if you take literally what those products each say, then apparently all kids need to survive is multivitamins, mighty enzyme and wheat bix. Their minds, their health, their bodies are cared for. It's, it's, it's that simple. Whoever knew parenting was so easy. So simple. That's not recommended, by the way. But is it so simple for the church? I don't know if you noticed this, but in our passage today, four times we're told that the church, the church is like a body. The church is like a body. So what does our church need to, to be strong? What does our church need to be healthy? What does our church need to grow? Uh, if you could name a list of the things that this church needs, what, what would be on it? Good teaching, maybe? Uh, you know, really vibrant music? Nice facilities, perhaps? Um, helpful programs maybe that that speak to your needs a good looking minister well you're so lucky already (laughs) what does a church body need what does it need to, to grow what does it need to be healthy what does it need to be strong well the answer of our passage is you to grow, to be healthy, to be strong. Our church needs you. Every one of you. Each of you. That's the whole point of this text. Our church needs for its unity, for its diversity, for its strength, it needs you. You're necessary. You're required. How? Well, that's what we're going to see this morning as we work our way through this text. First of all, unity. Up until this point, uh, Paul has been unpacking for us so clearly how how wonderful God's plan is, the the, the heights, the depths, the riches of God's plan to to fill the whole earth, to grow his church, to show his power and to show his glory. And he's made so clear that central to that plan, the way God works it out is the church, (laughs) the local church, our church even. Now all of that's been established. The the question here is, how does the church go about that? And Paul spends the whole second half of this letter uh, answering that question. How does this play out in our life? And his first point here for us is very simple. Look at verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. How does the church play out God's plan? It lives up to its calling. What does that mean? Well, look with me at verses 2 through 6. Be completely humble and gentle. 
Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. See, we have one calling. We're called by one God, the one God. We're called to one faith, one baptism, one spirit, one hope. We're called under one Lord to be one body. Uh, just in case you missed that sevenfold repetition, what are we called to? We're called to unity. We're called to oneness, to togetherness. And how do we live out that unity? Well, it's right there in verse 2, isn't it? Be humble, be gentle, be patient, bear with one another. Practice this unity, live up to it, live up to this calling that we have. Because it's important to note here, we don't create that unity. We don't make unity by practicing these things. No, unity is the gift that we've already been given. It's the gift we've already received. That's what Paul taught us earlier in chapter 2 when he taught us that Jesus' death, his blood shed, broke every barrier. It broke the barrier that stood between us and God. It broke the barrier that stood between us and others. So now as a result we are forgiven as his children and now we are one, a new people made in him. We have been given that unity. That's been created for us by God. It's his precious gift to us. We don't have to go out and make it. (laughs) We just live up to it. We, as he says in verse 3, keep it or maintain it. Once upon a time there was a village. Uh, It was a reasonable sized village but it was quite isolated, a long way away from all other towns and, and cities and it was in the middle of a desert At the centre of this village, uh, there was a well. It was the lifeblood of the town. It was the only source of water for miles around. It kept the town going. But one day disaster struck because that well ran dry. The town was in crisis. There was no future without water. How could they survive? Well, thankfully they had a wise uh, and generous government and the government uh, donated to this town a bore with a pumping station. Water was found, the town was saved. All they had to do was keep that pump going. And so they did. Uh, It became a great privilege to keep that pump going, to be the one maintaining it. People were vying for that honour. And so a roster was made. Everyone could have a turn. Everyone could share in the honour of keeping the town alive by maintaining the pump. But one day there was a mix-up. There was a mistake on the roster and two families turned up at the same time, both eager to to do their work and and look after the pump. Uh, An argument broke out and so the mayor was called. And he came and he arbitrated. Uh, The situation was resolved and the pump was kept going. But seeds of dissent were sown. One of the families, the aggrieved party, were very subtle about making their feelings known. Little hints dropped here and there about the fact that maybe others weren't doing their job as well as they ought to. Little suggestions, perhaps there was a better way to do the job. 
Maybe, in fact, the privilege ought to be given only to a few who are more capable. Over time, what was subtle became open, whispers became yells, words became action and pretty soon the whole town was in uproar. Some were on one side, some were on the other. Those caught in the middle called a plague on both houses and through it all the pump kept going although with significantly less care than usual. Arguments raged and the pump sat there neglected. One day there came a sandstorm. All the townspeople were at a meeting. They were too too busy arguing and and, uh, worrying about their own positions and no one was looking after the pump. The next day, they found it. Completely clogged up, seized up, burnt out and beyond repair. (laughs) Of course, everyone was horrified. Uh, It was a disaster. Uh, And so they all put aside their arguments and immediately petitioned the government to, to get a replacement. But none came. There was none available. There had only ever been one allocated per town. There was going to be no pump coming. So now there was no water. The town went dry. It dwindled. And it disappeared. The church is like that town. Unity is God's precious gift given to us. Not made by us, but to be maintained by us. But it is a fragile gift. And if we don't look after it, if we don't keep it and make every effort to keep it, we will lose it. It will be destroyed. So unity is very easy to destroy. If you want to kill unity, simply be strong on on things that aren't essential. Be dogmatic about your preferences Uh, If you want unity to die, just be argumentative. Be confrontational. Question every decision. Demand your own way. If you want unity gone, stand up for yourself. Stand up for your rights, for for what you deserve. Stand up for your place, for your ideas. And I can guarantee you that very soon, unity will disappear. It will die through neglect. But if you want to keep that precious gift, then our path is very simple. It's humility. Not not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. It's gentleness, not, not being spineless, not being a doormat, being firm for what's right, but kind and compassionate and tender. It's in patience. Not not demanding quick action, not hurrying others up to catch up with you but being calm and gracious and understanding. It's in forbearance, knowing we're all sinful, we're all flawed, and so bearing with each other's shortcomings, bearing with each other's flaws and showing mercy. See, the question we need to ask ourselves is, do we truly prize unity? Do we value it as much as we ought to? I mean, after all, this is Jesus' precious gift to us. It cost him his life to create. And he's given it to us freely. Is that how we view it? Because if we do, we will prize it above everything else. We will long to live up, that, up to that calling. We'll, we'll, we'll gladly 
uh, give up getting our own way, put it above our own feelings or our ideas. We'll, we'll, we'll gladly put it above being right. And we will eagerly seek everything that preserves it. Humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance and love. And when we do, we find out just how precious a gift this is. Just how important it is. So we'll find that that unity is the basis for the true community that we long for, the, the relationships that we crave. We'll find that unity is the heart of joyful and vibrant worship together. We'll find that it's unity that truly witnesses to and attracts the world around us. We'll find that it's unity which creates the environment for for confident service and evangelism and mission to our world. See, unity matters. It is a precious gift. And it's the heart of what we do together. So we must prize unity and live up to it and maintain it. That is what we are called to. But we shouldn't misunderstand what that unity is. See, unity is not uniformity. It's not all becoming the same or looking the same. No, instead, unity is very different people coming together and sharing, uh, celebrating what they share, richer for the differences. Unity is understanding that, that those differences are intentional, that in fact they are Jesus' gift to the church. Look again at verses 7 through 10. But to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. See, we have unity in diversity. It's a wonderful section of this passage, even though it's quite complex to understand. Uh, Essentially what Paul's doing here is is quoting a a famous Old Testament psalm, the one we opened our service with. Uh, It's a psalm about God's triumph, about God's victory, uh, and about God ascending to the throne and, and, and being king over all things. And what Paul does here is he applies that back to Jesus. He says, that's what Jesus has done. Jesus has come to earth, he's descended, he's become a man. And having done so, then he's returned to the very heavens themselves. He's ascended in all glory as a king of all things. Now just as a a king, when a king ascends, gives gifts to his people, so too Jesus on his ascension gives gifts, precious gifts, to his people. That is, to us, to each of us. We have been given grace apportioned to us by him. Given because he is risen, because he is reigning, because he is authoritative, because he is the glorious king of all. And as the king, he has given each of us gifts. What's he given? We'll look at verse 11. It was he who gave some to be apostles some to be prophets, some to be evangelists and some to be pastors and teachers. What has Jesus given? Well, first he's given leaders. He's given leaders to his church. Now, there's lots of debates around whether there's four or five roles described here, whether they all exist today. 
We're not going to get into it. Uh, It's not important for us to note today, save to say this. Jesus has given and he continues to give the church the leaders it needs in the forms that it needs. I mean, that's Paul's point here. The church has its leaders because they are a gift from Jesus. And all of those leaders share something. All of those leaders depend on his word. See, whatever you think of those roles, whatever you imagine them to be, one thing that they all have in common is that they use the word, that they teach the Bible and that they depend on it. Why? Why why is Jesus given leaders to teach the Bible? How is that a gift to us? Well, look with me at verses 12 and 13. He's given them to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. See, the church has leaders so that every member will be prepared, literally equipped, to do works of service in the church, in God's kingdom. Works that build up that church, helping it, towards unity, helping it in the knowledge of him towards maturity. See, all of us have a gift, have gifts. All are given as of Jesus' grace. They're not things that we've just developed or become good at. They are from him. And all of them are for the sake of his body. And it's the job of the church's leaders to help you all, us all, use them well. The leaders are here to help us use our gifts well. See, the church at the end of the day is like a soccer game. The church is like a soccer game. Uh, We so often look at it back to front. We we see 30,000 spectators in need of exercise. We see 22 players in need of a rest. And I think that's what the church is like. The ministers, leaders running around, going crazy, playing the game, whilst everyone else watches. (laughs) What Paul's point is, that's completely wrong. You've you've got that entirely backwards. That's not Jesus' point at all. No, instead, every church member is a player. All of us are on the pitch, whether we we know that or understand it or not. We each have a role on the pitch, as backs or as keepers or as strikers, whatever. We all have a part to play. We're all in it together. And our leaders, they're not the ones playing on behalf of us. No, the leaders are our player coaches. They're here running on the field, helping us, directing us, playing their own role too, alongside us all. You know, if, if anyone's the spectators in this, in this story, it's the world. We're the players. We've got to get out there. But see, we're doing so much more than playing a game, aren't we? Uh, There's serious work at hand. That's what we've seen in verses 12 and 13. We're talking about living up to unity. We're talking about growing in faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. We're talking about growing to maturity, attaining to the full measure of the fullness of Christ. See, the very growth, the very health of Jesus' body is at stake here. That's what we're playing towards living up to unity, growing in knowledge, becoming mature. That is the goal. That is the ends towards what we are playing. That is what our gifts are for. And you are the means to that goal. 
Every single one of you. You're not here by accident. You're not good at what you're good at by accident. You're here because of Jesus. And the leaders of this church, its elders, are here to help you do it all the more. And to do it alongside, partnering in this work. See, the leaders of this church aren't here to do the work for you. They're not given to to make this a nice, strong church so you can enjoy it. No, they're here to help you do the work and partner in it together. You is each of you. There's no freeloaders in the church. There's no one here who's you know, come too late, missed out on a spot. Every one of us is important. Every one of us has a role to play, given graciously by Jesus, the team owner. None of us is less useful. None of us, none of us have you know, passed our use-by date or anything like that. Uh, it may be that your role has changed over the years. But nonetheless, it is still important. It is still essential. And whether you're 8 or 80, Jesus has deliberately given you gifts to use in service to his church for the sake of all of us. See, what end is he working towards? Why has he given us these gifts? Well, basically so that we can be strong. Look at verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming, we need our gifts to be strong and to grow. See, I mean, I think we all understand this. Perpetual youth is a bad thing. Uh, We'd be worried if our kids, you know, grew to toddlers and never, never passed that stage. And so we ought to be worried if our church is not growing in maturity. Because we need to be. We need to be growing. We need to, to be strong. We need to be firm. Because we live in a world in which there are all sorts of winds and waves blowing at us from every single direction. New teachings, new ideas, new challenges. People maliciously trying to drag us down. Uh, a child in that environment will simply be thrown here and there. We need maturity. We need to stand firm and to resist in order to survive. And how do we get there? We'll look at verses 15 and 16. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. See, how do we grow to maturity? By playing our part. By each growing in and serving in the unique role that Jesus has given us. Every time we eat chicken at home that has bones in it, you know, drumsticks or wings or uh, Maryland, is that, I think. Uh, Every time we eat chicken like that, I, I always say the same thing. Why can't they just grow chickens without bones? You know, it's such a waste of meat. Uh, it's such a waste of time, you know, eating around all that meat. They're so fiddly, so annoying. Why can't we just, you know, breed chickens, invent chickens, if must be, that don't have bones? Wouldn't that just be great? It would be so simple. I'm sure it's, it's got to be possible. But the thing is, 
We know why, don't we? A chicken without bones is not going to be a great success as a chicken. It might be convenient, but it won't grow. At best, it will be a blob with feathers like a giant chicken nugget. That actually sounds pretty good. But it would never move. Uh, it, it could never grow, it could never m- get anywhere, it couldn't even live, could it? A, a chicken without bones would just die. Well, neither can this body, Jesus' body, the church, grow or stand or survive without you. Why? Because you are its supporting ligaments. That's what it, that's what it says right here, isn't it? You are its bones. You are what helps this body stand and, and hold together and survive. You are the means by which this body becomes strong and grows. See, this body, this church cannot live without you. Each of you, none of you are excluded in that. It cannot grow and become what it must be without you, without you serving with the gifts that Jesus has given. That is an enormous encouragement and an enormous challenge. It's an encouragement because of who the head of the body is. Uh, Verse 15 tells us clearly, the head is Jesus. Jesus is the one whom we depend on and he helps us. He coordinates us. He provides, feeds, guides, leads. He is our head and we need him. And we have him. But it's a challenge because of who we are. We're the ligaments, we're the bones. This, This body, this church, it depends on you. If it's going to be healthy, if it's going to be, uh, if it's going to grow, if it's going to be strong, it needs you. If the church is going to be what, what Paul said in the book of Ephesians, it can be. If the church is going to be what we would love it to be, it needs you. It will grow, it will be strong, it will survive. If each part, if each of us does our work, exercises our gift... See, there is no room in the church for going along is my gift. Filling a pew is my place here. There's not even room here for my gift is just doing the dishes or putting money in the bag. I mean, that is necessary. It's a good thing. But Paul has so much more in mind here. See, what is it that we are all to do? It's right there in verse 15. Instead, speaking the truth in love. See, that's the heart of all of our gifts. That's the heart of all of our roles and our place in the church is speaking the truth, God's truth, in love. Whatever we do, whatever part we have in the church, that is essential. Speaking God's truth to each other. That is all of our responsibility. To share God's words. And as we do so, he promises that his church will be strong, that his church will grow. So we can't just you know, pull ourselves in and, and, and be concentrate on our own growth. Uh, we, we can't just say, you know, I really need to grow now, I need to spend time developing myself. That's a good thing and you should do it. But just imagine a body in which you know, one arm grew to enormous size. Or one ear suddenly became huge. Or one nose. It, it would be grotesque, wouldn't it? We do bear responsibility for our own growth, but we also bear responsibility for each other so that we all grow together. So that the body maintains its proportion, so that it maintains its health. 
We need each other. We cannot live, we cannot survive without each other. Without each of us speaking God's truth. There are so many ways we can do this and we need to do it in everything we do. In our praying, in our Bible reading, some of you will do it in preaching, some of you will do it in service leading, others in in our connect groups, whether it's leading or just coming along and speaking and sharing. We ought to be doing this uh, meeting one-to-one with each other, opening the Bible and praying together. We need to do this when we visit, not just having cups of tea, but, but talking truth, building each other up, using the word. If we don't do this, then our church won't grow. Our church won't be strong and it will not endure. But if we do this, unified, each according to the gifts given, our leaders prompting, helping and guiding, then we have a great hope. We have a bright future because God's glorious purpose will be fulfilled in us and our church will stand, it will grow and it will be strong. So the church is like a symphony orchestra. We're all here playing our part, all here playing together. Some are on strings, some are in brass, some are in percussion, some play the bass, some play the melody, others have their own harmonies to follow. But all of us play to the same end. We're all following the same music, we're all aiming to play the composer's tune well. And as we do so, a beautiful thing will happen. So we are better together and we need each other and with each other, with what Christ has given to us, a glorious symphony will be played through us. A symphony of God's grace, of his wisdom, of his glorious, in and through us, to his praise forever. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our church. We thank you for each and every person here that you have given them to us for the gift that they are. We thank you for the gifts that you've given them. Father, may you help us together to keep this unity which you've created in us. Help us to put others first, to be humble and gentle and patient. And help us together to use the gifts that you've given for this body's growth and strength. Father, help our elders and leaders to be wise in equipping us all to serve you. But help each of us to serve gladly, speaking your truth in love so that together we will grow, so that together you will make us strong and bless us, so we will endure, so we will mature and live up to the fullness of Christ our King. In his name we pray. Amen.